You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with a special pre-Thanksgiving edition of the M Squared TechCast. We have with us our favorite epidemiologist and infectious disease expert, Fred Brown, who has uh, been working in the industry for nigh on to 40 years now uh, in terms of the, uh, the public health industry and the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and we have him for the entire hour today, and we're very lucky to have that much of his time. So welcome to the show, Fred. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, you guys. Gosh, I did be back and uh, great, just such great news today with AstraZeneca coming out with also an effective, apparently an effective vaccine. Of course, this is all early days, but uh, exciting. I did want to just say that I, I am sorry about, I feel probably personally responsible for destroying everyone's uh, Thanksgiving this year, but there, <laughs> <laughs> but by, I think by next time this year, it'll be better. <laughs> We're not giving out your address so they can't pick at your house. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, there, there are a couple things that I think if you are not going to travel this year, um, I think that, that, that that'll be helpful and sad. One thing you might want to do is take that money that you would have paid, paid for, you know, um, to buy a plane ticket and maybe maybe buy some, you know, good lighting and some equipment for your for the family to get together remotely uh, and just uh, spend a, a more intimate time together remotely. I, I know it doesn't make up for it, but it's really about tradition and, you know, maybe this can at least make up for some of the traditions that people are going to miss this year if they don't, if they're, if they're you know, trying to stay uh, protective and, and stay home and rather than to visit everybody, um, you know, in the family, like we usually, this year, we usually have about 40 people come for, for, for Thanksgiving this year. It's just Betsy, Betsy, me and the dog. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah. Well, like we said, the dog's real happy about that, right? Yeah. So we got 16 pounds of turkey and nowhere, nowhere to <laughs> We're not going to be able to eat that I much. Think, I think the dog will help you with that. That's right. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she will. <laughs> so what, one of the things that we didn't get to last week, you were talking about vaccines. And, of course, as you said, AstraZeneca this morning announced that theirs was 70% effective. But it doesn't have to be frozen at minus 100 below zero, kind of not that much. But, you know, the Pfizer one, it's not real transportable. Or it is, but I mean, you'd have to get one of those industrial strength freezers to keep it, right? Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, that's exactly you're right. I, I, my 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 labs would tend to have a minus seventy freezer, have have minus seventy minus ninety freezers in them. Uh, the labs that I work with, but but most most people don't. Uh, that is really hard to keep cold that cold. So one of the things you didn't get to last week that you wanted to was the safety aspect. So I, I believe that's what you wanted to discuss. Yeah, right? you're right. I want I, so well now that AstraZeneca has come out, uh, this this really is a game changer for two uh, for several reasons. The first one that you mentioned is that you can uh, you can chip it at what they call biological temperatures. That's two degrees to eight degrees centigrade. So that's what you typically have as a refrigerator, and almost every pharmacy has a refrigeration capability. Not every of them has a dry ice, not every of them has a minus 70, but every one of them 
has to have at least a refrigeration uh, facility. And that means that, um, yeah, and, and we know how to transport uh, minus uh, the two to four, two, two to eight degrees uh, centigrade to about, to about 5 billion people. Uh, when you talk about minus, minus 20, uh, which Moderna requires, then you're only talking about kind of about two and a half to 3 billion people. Um, but this is, this is a big one. That's one big issue that the logistics, the second big issue with AstraZeneca is that it, 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 um, it's, it validates that a second platform technology, and I'll just show you this quickly. We remember we had several different kinds of platform technologies that we were working on. And if I, uh, I'll just show you this. You, we've seen the screen. I just wanted to reemphasize that there are basically, um, there are basically, oops, three. They're basically you know, five types of uh, ways of going after a virus. Three of them are genetic vaccines. These all require platforms. These, pa- these companies have these platforms, and then they, then they put the antigen into them or on them. So the DNA, RNA, they actually put the DNA and R- or RNA that they're interested in re- replicating that little piece of the, of the virus, not the whole virus, a little piece of it, uh, into the te- uh, platform, and then, they, and then they bring the platform forward. In the case of RNA and DNA, it's a lipid platform. It's, it's really gooey and slippery, and so basically it slips into the cell uh, naturally. The vector protein is actually an active transport mechanism. They actually take out the 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 the, the virus that's in there, put in the antigen, the 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 the, the piece of, of of DNA that codes for the antigen that they're interested in expressing in the cell, and then the, the, that that antigen actually that that DNA actually gets injected into the cell just like you would a normal virus, and then you have the spike protein, the subunit proteins, and those are lots of different proteins that are all uh, on on a uh, on a on a um, on a platform uh, and, uh, and and also cause uh, an, an antigenic response. What's interesting about the DNA RNA is that that is one kind of technology platform. That's the lipid platform that they're talking about. And that is both Moderna and Pfizer. So until until AstraZeneca came through and said, hey, our, our viral vector platform is working, we didn't know if the viral vector platform was going to be effective against COVID. And the thing about the viral vectors is um, we have a lot more experience with viral vectors uh, than than we do uh, with uh, DNA RNA. DNA RNA, we we have no experience. This is the first real big one that we're able to come out with. The viral vector, though, that, that that's a, those are major vaccine types that are already in in place. And what's in that, so that brings me to the third big issue uh, with AstraZeneca. You know, when we talk about Moderna, we talk about about Pfizer because these are brand new platform technologies. We didn't have any capacity. You know, they they thought they could get to uh, you know, a hundred. Uh, they thought they could get to a billion doses each by the end of twenty twenty. By the end of twenty twenty one, so they're scaling up to a billion doses each, each Pfizer and Moderna, which gives you two billion doses. Well, AstraZeneca has seven, has six billion doses ready to go now. Wow! So that's a that right. That's a completely different, and they're and they're already manufacturing these doses in ten countries. So that I mean, you're talking about a whole another level of capability, right? <laughs> so. With that, um, I, I, we started out yesterday, uh, the last time we spoke last week, about 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 with this with this piece, which basically says we got four ways of looking at at, at, at a vaccine that you should take it take to heart personally because you're going to have to make a decision with your doctor about which vaccine you want. And we went through efficacy uh, and the effectiveness, and we talked about the fact that we didn't have we had not we chosen clinical endpoints that were pretty easy to hit because we didn't want to take the time and expense. If the vaccine was going to fail um, anyway, to try to get to the to a great efficacy endpoint, which is we reduce transmission, and we talked about the fact that 
you know, not, we, we aren't going to have any data for this. We'll have to actually go back around and look at what the real world data is telling us to extrapolate into the transmission uh, field. We won't detect this directly. What we will do is we'll see naturally as we inject, uh, you know, have the vaccination. Some nursing homes will get injections, others won't. And we can look at the level of transmission, you know, around commonality, you know, in common settings with common patients, and we'll get a sense of that. And that'll take us about six months. So we don't know what the what the effective what, what the effective transmission rate is. But I wanted to go back and just say quickly what I did was and you, uh, was I I said. Uh, what, as soon as Moderna, since since we talked, Moderna came out, <laughs> as you know, with uh, with a, 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 an effective vaccine, and Pfizer re-upped its vac- vaccine from ninety percent effectiveness to ninety four point five percent, ninety five percent effectiveness. Moderna's at ninety four point five percent, and we're talking about almost perfect vaccines uh, to date, with almost no with almost no safety issues. Uh, that are and certainly none that are significant and no no safety issues. Period. On, uh, 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 that are you know that 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 are worrisome. What I did here was I said suppose you only had Pfizer. That was my original case, and you can see that we don't hit kind of the opportunity to get to herd immunity uh, with a ninety percent reduction in, 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 in reproductive rates until kind uh, until early uh, in uh, twenty twenty two. If we suddenly add the hundred million to billion doses uh, on average next year we'll have an extra 500 million doses from moderna uh in addition to uh, on average 500 million doses of pfizer now they'll ramp up right so you won't get all those doses until about about august to september uh and we won't get a billion to a billion until the end of the year but you can see how much faster we're starting to hit you know a, a effective herd immunity we're, we're talking about you know getting it uh three to four months earlier and now, if we add AstraZeneca's effective uh, effectiveness back into the equation, you know, I haven't run all the numbers yet, but my guess uh, is that we're talking about theoretically being able to, uh, you know, hit um, uh, a point of, of of moving to a free market environment with a, with, with little with little uh, con, uh, supply constraints by the middle of next year, uh, and possibly getting to herd immunity uh, by late summer. Uh, or, or at least having access to sufficient patients to inject by late summer uh, to achieve uh, herd immunity. Now we won't we won't be able to run all the tests by that point. We have got to do um, we've got to do uh, uh, trials to check out whether or not we can uh, inject uh, the in- infants and toddlers. Right now, the youngest people that have been injected are 12 years old, and that's not sufficient to really uh, get children fully vaccinated. But we'll do those. Uh, they're, they're, they're called uh, cross cross trials. We'll, we'll, we'll do the cross analyses to see uh, pretty quickly to see whether or not we can uh, we can use these uh, vaccines effectively in children. Generally, the vaccine response in children uh, uh, is better uh, than in elderly, uh, and we're having a great response in elderly, as you saw with the Pfizer results, saying ninety four point five percent impact on elderly in terms of reduction in symptoms, uh, which is a tremendous result. Those are the kind of populations we really worry about uh, a lot, and, and those are the most susceptible to dying. So it'll really make a huge impact. I think by the middle of next year, originally when Pfizer came out, I thought by the end of next year, but now with AstraZeneca in place, we're talking about the middle of next year, 
one of the things that um, is interesting is that uh, they claimed that we, they, they were, and they are, actually testing two different vaccine types. One is a vaccine which puts uh, two uh, doses, uh, two uh, normal-sized doses uh, in succession, 28 days apart. The other one, uh, the other protocol they were using puts half a dose to kind of prime your immune system in on your first dose, and then uh, it puts a full dose uh, into uh, the second uh, into the second round, uh, and that actually is, a, is is showing higher efficacy. And there are dosing effects that 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 that, that, that are that, that that you know this is this has precedent. That's why they tried two different doses because they thought this might be the case for their for 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 their vaccine. So I I, I think we may be you know able to have, enjoy a third vaccine with over ninety percent efficacy. My models originally projected that we were going to be at about. Seventy-seven uh, percent efficacy for uh, is, is what I was projecting for the J and J vaccine. We'll have to see, you know, based on based on very very early results that I I, I had some access to, uh, and we'll have to see if, if it actually improves uh, now that J and J is coming through. J and J is important because they have a single dose. So by if we have half a dose plus one dose, suddenly we increase, you know. Uh, our our available supply by another you know thirty percent thirty three percent so uh, that's that's exciting. Um, let, let me ask you a couple of questions if sure, I may. Absolutely. Um, it seems like there's still like hundred and seventy five other candidates out there around the world in development. I know we haven't heard much about those, but just looking at the ones that we do know about, for instance, if I wanted to try, I'm just you know, question sure. here. If I wanted to try the Pfizer vaccine and then maybe I wanted to try the Moderna vaccine, are there going to be issues with the, you know, vaccines fighting against each other kind of thing or what? Well, they, they code for the same, uh, fundamentally they code for the same thing. Uh, so uh, the, the we don't believe there will be uh, issues, but uh, we haven't done the trials yet. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mix and match at this point, certainly not between platforms and, uh, not even within a platform. So, in other words, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, I, I wouldn't do that, and certainly I wouldn't mix J and J with Moderna, for example. So, you're uh, pretty much, you're locked into whatever you're going to give a shot at, right? Then, well, so. you're you're locked. It's sort of interesting, right? If the if 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 what's happening, if, if the reason that you want the second vaccine is because you're not happy with the efficacy of the first round. Suppose you take a serology test, you said, "Gosh, you know, my my, my the anti- the antibodies are, aren't aren't protective," then it's okay to take another vaccine because you already know the antibody levels you've got aren't protective. Ah, <laughs> like okay. You're not going to have a response. So it, sure. it, the reason that you're doing it is because, gosh, you know, my, this isn't very protective. And I've had, a, I've had an anti, then there are antibody tests are called serology tests that are from a naval bio, from a naval biosciences. You can get the test done. Um, you know, it costs about $140 and you can see whether or not, you know, how, what the quality and quantity of the neutralizing antibodies are. And if you get that test and then they say, your doctor says, you know, I'm really unhappy with the level of neutralizing antibody in your system, then you, you can go ahead, you know, and, 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 and do anything you like because by definition, you, you're not going to have a response that's sufficient. Um, uh, but, um, uh, but certainly talk to your doctor about that, get, get the test, and then see whether your antibodies are low enough to then, you know, because uh, they aren't protective. If, if they aren't protective, then you want to either get a booster or you get a different vaccine. And the other issue that has come up, I know, in conversations and from what I've read is even when people get COVID and they get the antibodies, they don't last very long, like three, four, five months, somewhere in that ballpark, you know? Yeah, that's that's actually the bigger problem. 
Uh, and we'll get into that. What, 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 uh, uh, why don't I talk a little bit about safety? You brought that up, and I think it's a great, great thing to go into. And then we'll talk about the other two areas, which is scale, which I've hinted at, and, and durability, which is really going to be our biggest, uh, one, of our, one of our two big challenges left uh, sure. in terms of herd immunity. Safety, on the safety side, what's interesting about safety is um, um, huh, there, let's be, oh, we got a slideshow. There we are. What's interesting about safety is that uh, basically we're concerned about uh, two things. The first uh, is the uh, frequency of the adverse. Well, first of all, we're only concerned about adverse events. And I apologize for these uh, for these slides. Uh, the, 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 the text has come a little bit out uh, of, of alignment. But um, you can see that basically serious adverse events are what you really are interested in. Minor adverse events like uh, inflammation at the injection site or a little bit of fatigue or, or, or a little uh, a headache or a slight chill or a slight fever. Um, those can th- those are what we call class one, class two. They can get up to class three adverse events, but they don't require you know, a doctor's a doctor's uh, inter- inter- intervention or a hospital intervention or, or result in a death. If something results in a death or a serious, uh, a serious side effect, then we typically stop the trial, uh, especially when we've only injected a certain number of people. Because if you have to inject a billion people or seven or eight billion people uh, with a virus where it's already showing issues uh, after injecting only 10,000, you know you've you got a problem. And so for that uh, reason, uh, uh, you can... Um, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty confident about the safety. We, we're, we've got a, a much larger clinical trial size than we normally do in a phase three trial for a vaccine. So we're not expecting a lot of very rare adverse events uh, at this point in a general population. We are concerned about them in specific populations that may not be sufficiently tested. So as we roll out, we'll be watching for very rare uh, adverse events. Right now, we can, we're probably at the detection level of one in one in fifty thousand, one in uh, kind of rate, rate of, uh, of, of 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 having an adverse event, and if it's serious, uh, even higher detection level. The other big thing we're worried about is whether that uh, event, when that event occurs, does it come early within within kind of uh, three months, six months, or or does it you know occur long term? Uh, with when you've got additional infection, additional issues, uh, when you've taken other medicines over time, you, you can sometimes find you have an adverse event. Uh, and so right now, our biggest our biggest danger of having safety issues is probably in those adverse events that occur 50,000 in one, one 50,000 times or less or in special populations and occur after uh, after the two three month interval um, uh, that uh, that we're concerned about. And interestingly, the FDA came out just before uh, the election and said, we'd like to have two months of, of safety data. And, uh, you know, people were saying, gosh, that seems a little bit political because that puts us just over uh, the, the election period. Uh, actually, it had nothing to do with the politics. We, we actually see most of the adverse events occur after 42 days. We, have, we, we like a sick. And at, at that point, you see between 90 and 95 percent of all adverse events and all vaccines if you, if you look at the clinical studies. Uh, and so. Um, if you only wait a month, it would have been way too early, and we could have really, uh, you know, uh, subjected ourselves to a, a series of pretty bad adverse events uh, unknowingly. If we'd already put it into, into an EUA situation, vaccinating you know elderly people and, and our frontline healthcare workers with a with, with something that could have safety issues. So that's the reason we did that. 
um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I think it was the right thing to do. Um, and uh, right now we're at a detection limit, I think, that is indicating these vaccines are extremely safe, especially if you think about their mode of action, how they really work. Um, so you can see that there are some really critical unknowns still about the serious adverse event. And you really want to watch the serious adverse events. Um, you want to look at whether or not uh, there is population impact. Uh, so if you're in a particular population, uh, you know, uh, if you've got a certain ethnic, ethnicity, look to make sure the vaccine you're taking has been tested a lot in your specific ethnicity. Um, certainly uh, several thousand. Uh, the risk of antibody dependent enhancement. This is when the, the, the vaccine actually starts to select towards something that's uh, the, the vaccine puts selective pressure on the virus and actually causes it to become more powerful and more potent. The re risk of late onset serious adverse events uh, that we haven't detected yet because we haven't tested this for more than you know, two months and watched people for, uh, for more than two months uh, at a large scale, uh, that can happen. Uh, and you can see that you, you may have some contraindications based, based on your health uh, status and your medications we've taken. So with that, there are two kinds of adverse events that I actually modeled. The first adverse event uh, is one where it's generally dispersed, where there isn't a particular population focus. And in that case, that's on the left-hand side, you can see that basically uh, I model one which had a, a better safety profile, which is a 1% adverse event rate, versus a worse safety profile of 10% adverse event rate. And here, you can see basically the, the separation between purple and the blue line, the worse and the better safety profile, um, is, is not... Is, is just insignificant. And the reason for that is the populations very quickly after the first couple of months realize that they're allergic to something. They can actually have, there's actually biomarkers that indicate allergies and, and you can quick, very quickly separate the populations who aren't, who, who are, who are going to have an adverse event from, from the, from the rest. And, and, and so your overall impact, you can see it's worth for everyone to take this test if you don't, if you're not allergic. The other kind of adverse event is one that actually, um, is, is one that overly affects a particular population. And if it overly affects a population that is most prone uh, to have, an, uh, have a bad COVID outcome, uh, like the elderly who have multiple morbid diseases. So suppose it was all elderly with cardiovascular uh, and, and or diabetes, that, that, would, that would put you up you know, at a pretty significant percent of the population who are most vulnerable. If you can't in, inject these people, then you can see there's a big separation between a, a one that, a, a, between a drug uh, vaccine that has a, a, a good safety profile uh, of, of less than one happening in one percent or less versus a vaccine that has a, a 10 percent uh, uh, um, uh, 10 uh, adverse event rate in the high mortality populations. So I hope that's, that's clear. The kind of adverse event really is going to make a difference and you should monitor that because you don't want to have, you know, a bad outcome from taking something that's basically good if you're in that special population. So we'll be able to monitor that. We'll see those results that they should come out. Um, uh, what's interesting is the uh, FDA decided to go ahead and publish the results. Uh, and uh, so we will see that. I, I'm a little bit disappointed in that. Uh, they went to rolling, rolling, uh, rolling, uh, 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 evaluations, um, and that means that we won't have quite as much statistical power in the overall analysis, but we will be able to tell very specifically what's happening earlier um, in certain populations. We just won't be able to do it as broadly as we could if they hadn't opened the entire trial. But 
you know, uh, the FDA do what they did, I think, because they were concerned about the speed at which we're going. Uh, and I think that, you know, I'm sure they knew uh, they had their reasons for not for, for allowing the whole trial to be open now. So that's, now, uh, that's it. Would the results vary by sex, with, with male or female? Does it make any difference? It can. It absolutely can. So you want to look at inclusion and exclusion criteria. In this particular case, they excluded uh, people, uh, females, who could or are pregnant um, uh, in many cases. And some, in some uh, trials, they did allow uh, for pregnant, fem- uh, pregnant women to be injected. So watch for those. And it, again, we showed no harmful effect on the fetus or on, on the woman. Um, but in some instances, we haven't tested that population very much in a number of these vaccines. Uh, so inclusion and exclusion uh, criteria do really matter. Uh, we've tried to over uh, to kind of overpopulate this with uh, uh, L- with, with with older and uh, and 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 with uh, people of color. Uh, so we have uh, generally about a thirty to forty percent rate of those people being tested, and we did that because those. Those groups, those populations are being targeted uh, right at at the beginning of of rollout uh, of of the vaccine because they're more vulnerable. They tend to have a greater concentration of of essential workers in them. uh, And they're, uh, of course, have a a much worse um, outcome right now. We want to, we really want to vaccinate people who are most at risk of uh, of dying. And sadly, the the, uh, black population has about a four times which, you know, uh, age age control has about a four times higher death rate than the white population. So that's what we're trying to, you know, trying to give the, the, that that population uh, access to the vaccine as soon as possible. We want to test more uh, earlier. Uh, that's a that's a great question. And so look at the inclusion exclusion criteria and look at the adverse event adver- uh, seriousness. If it if it moves to a level four, level five, you really want and, and it looks like it's in, in in a population that's similar to yours. I would uh, probably now that we have got a choice of three uh, different vaccines, apparently by by the middle of the next year, I would choose to stay away. Talk to your doctor, but I'd choose to stay away from that uh, that that kind of a uh, of a vaccine. Um, now, this is the durability question you asked about, and uh, this is the last kind of quadrant that we look at, and we can't tell. We just don't know whether we're going to have a vaccine that lasts forever, like the measles on the on the far uh, right hand side. Uh, of, of the chart, or whether we're going to have something that's much more like uh, SARS or the flu, where you need to have a booster, uh, literally, you know, every 150 days or every 200, you know, in, in the case of SARS, every couple of years, in the case of MERS, every four years. Um, uh, we think that it's likely on the first generation of vaccines, unless we're super lucky, we, we should probably anticipate needing booster shots every year, uh, and so we'll have to uh, get used to that and be ready for an infrastructure that's able to, you know, do this again. And again, every year, you know, that's 480, <laughs> possibly up to, you know, 200 to 500 million doses every year. In order well, to- and, and I was going to say, and once again, let me put in my plug for the Red Cross. <clears throat> yeah. Donate blood. If you donate blood, you get a free antibody test. So you can check and see if you still have antibodies just by giving blood. So, uh, uh, we got about one minute, Fred, before we have to take a short break. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, uh, what, 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 as, and as, 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 as you said, we'll have to do, um, serology uh, testing and serology testing actually looks at, at the level of antibody in your blood and so basically you can tell very quickly whether you're, not, you're exposed and your vaccine has waned uh, and you need to have another vaccine or whether you're ready to go uh, uh, and continue without any booster shots. So we have this neutralizing, we have this neutralizing antibody testing 
um, uh, 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 testing capability. And I, my guess is that probably there'll be a, a large part of the population that actually is asked to continue, you know, continually send in, send in dried blood sample to these labs. You just prick your finger, put it on a piece of paper, send it in, and probably every you know two, three, four months on a regular basis, so, so that we can tell whether or not the, uh, the vaccine that you're on is waning for your population, for your gen, uh, for your genome, and for your health status. So with that, why don't we take a quick break and we'll talk about scalability next. All right, we'll be back after this commercial break. We have to thank our sponsor, Lawrence Technological University. And so uh, we'll do that, and then we'll resume in about a minute or so. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another segment of Fred Brown on the M Squared TechCast on MITechnews.tv. Um, Fred, you're going to talk to us a little bit more about the vaccines that we've been hearing about, all right? We, we talked about um, how they work and, the, you know, durability and that kind of thing, but now you're talking about scalability? Yeah, it turns out, so we think they're, these vaccines are going to work. We think they're going to be safe. We think they're going to, we hope they're going to be durable. We're not sure yet. Uh, but the biggest question that remains is, there are two big questions that remain. The first is, can we get them to everybody? And the second is, will they? T- will people take them? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about those two things. <laughs> Other than that, everything's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we, we seem to have a lot of people in this country that somehow, for some reason, think vaccines are bad. I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know the history of it, but it is a reality. Yeah, it's uh, it's disappointing because uh, you know we we work hard on these vaccines to make sure that it, they're they're safe for everybody, and there are going you know for, with any medicine there's there's going to be some uh, sadly you know a, a group of people who have some adverse events and who can't take a vaccine or who who uh, you know ha- have a bad reaction, um, and and uh, but it's typically. Um, you know, we we try to shoot for less than one in in in, in ten thousand, one in a hundred thousand, uh, and hopefully none at all uh, for as far as a serious adverse event goes. But you know, there 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 are instances where um, the you know the, the vaccine is isn't isn't as effective as 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 uh, as the as as the risk of, of taking it is. That's very rare, and and uh, uh, and. You know the the vaccine. It was funny. I got into you know obviously I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a drug discovery person and and in my career I've uh, I've developed 27 major drugs. These are you know these are drugs like Remicade and 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 Reopro and uh, you know drugs that everyone will have heard of if they're in the medical field um, that save a lot of people every year uh, that I'm very proud of. Uh, a lot of oncology drugs as well. 
Uh, also, a number of diagnostics help develop a lot, a lot of the, the, the diabetes diagnostics, the HIV diagnostics, some of these chronic disease diagnostics. They save a lot of people. Um, but it wasn't until I really worked in vaccines where you can really point to millions and millions of people being saved. And uh, those are the things I'm really you know, most proud of. And I worked with, 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 actually with Dr. Slowey and a few others uh, to develop. And, uh, and they really do work, even though there are an awful lot that you've got to inject now. The good news is they save just so many lives. Um, and, and, the, and the risks of an adverse event are, that are seri as serious as getting the disease itself are usually about 1 in 1.4 to 1.5 billion. So it's got to be a pretty rare person that shouldn't take the vaccine. There may be seven or eight on the planet that shouldn't take most of the childhood vaccines, for example, um, because, of the, the, because of the risk levels. And unfortunately, about 9% of the United States public is what we would call anti-vaccines, uh, and they may have had a bad, bad experience, or a family member had a bad experience, and for that, I, I, I'm sorry. But for the vast majority of us, that, that won't be the case. Um, so this is about scalability. Uh, and the question is, can we, you know, can we make this stuff? And the answer, the reason that, that AstraZeneca, as I said, was a game changer is look where they are in terms of scalability, right? They are, uh, India has a, has a capability of, of producing 8 billion vaccines a year. That's why they're up there. They are, they are, they are our workhorse. AstraZeneca has, as a company, has the capability of doing six billion doses of vaccine of this vaccine every year. <laughs> so uh, Novavax, you know, uh, with, with with Takeda, two to three billion doses. Merck, three billion doses. China, about two, uh, well, one point two, one point three billion doses. J and J, Moderna, Pfizer all have about a billion dose capability. Sanofi also, uh, and Russia has about a three hundred million dose capability. That gives you a sense of just how many doses that we can get, and it's a good thing we can get this many out because we need achieve herd immunity, we're going to have to you know, probably inject close to 6 billion people. Um, uh, and we may have to do that every year. <laughs> That's a lot of people. <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, you can see in this that basically J&J's um, vaccine, because it is only a single dose, you actually have to double their capacity. So they actually have a, a versus Moderna and Pfizer which have a double dose requirement. right? So they actually should be are slightly elevated in that because they actually use their doses more efficiently. Pfizer actually only uses three micrograms uh, versus uh, per dose. Moderna uses a hundred. So that's why, you know, you have to kind of look at the whole thing and, 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 and quite carefully. My guess is that Pfizer, J&J, Sanofi, Novavax, and certainly AstraZeneca will be a bigger player uh, than, than Moderna in the short term. I think Moderna will still. So, so Fred, let me ask you a Michigan-centric question. Of course. Oh, where is Pfizer going to manufacture this stuff? Is, yeah, it going the, be, is it going to be at the plant in uh, in Kalamazoo County or, or that's someplace where, else? Yes, you know uh, that's where the finish is going to occur. So we've got a three step. Okay. You know, they're the, the multi step process. These these are very complicated. Um, uh, these are very complicated. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, biologicals. And so we have a three step project. They've got production facilities in Andover, Massachusetts, and St. Louis, uh, uh, Missouri, and then they push all that to a final. Uh, what, they, what they call uh, fi uh, finish and, and, uh, and fill, fill and finish uh, ca uh, capacity where they actually put it in the glass vials. They put the, they put the diluent in with the antigen. They put everything in, all the adjuvants and everything comes, comes together. So you have the antigen being produced. You've got the, the sauce being produced that it's in, in and then uh, you have to actually put it in the glass bottles. And that all happens, all happens in Kalamazoo. And they've got a 
football field of freezers. <laughs> uh, well, uh, in a warehouse the size of, of, of yeah, I was going to say about a, about a million years ago, I I was a reporter at the Kalamazoo Gazette and toured that plant a couple of times, and it is mammoth. It's just oh huge. yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? When you start to see if people don't understand, you know, you have to imagine a whole a full football field of nothing but but minus seventy freezers to understand. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that that's what's going out now. They also have capability uh, in Pus, Belgium. Uh, Belgium is another big. Okay. The manufacturer, and that's that's the BioNTech side of their equation, where they manufacture the antigen in Germany, and they shipped up to Tus, where they actually uh, uh, fill and finish. So, well, let me, before we move yeah. forward, just on this, I know the pharma, big pharma industry, doesn't exactly share, uh, but if uh, <laughs> one of these drugs becomes really, really effective. Would they share and would they license it to other manufacturers? I mean, you know, save the world, all that jazz, or that's not really going to be the driver here? Um, uh, they don't usually share. Uh, they don't, they usually like to use their own technologies. Now, having said that, if you're a manufacturer, a content manufacturer, so if you, if you are a discoverer uh, of ethical drugs, you generally don't. Don't don't share a lot of this. Now, GSK was an exception. Uh, in this case, they they wanted to share their adjuvant technology. The adjuvant technologies are particularly important because what you do is you stimulate the immune response to a certain extent to say, ah, you know, the vac- you know, the virus is here. I want to kill it. Right? You don't want to go too far, otherwise you actually uh, can cause an over response to the immune system and cause harm. And you don't want to do it under because if you do it under, uh, then you're not going to have protection against the virus. So these adjuvants, these are the ones that kind of tune up the response just to the right level so that you don't get any bad side effects, but you have a sufficient response uh, that you um, that, that, that that you're protected from the virus. And G- GSK, to their credit, came out and said, you know, we're going to provide adjuvants to anybody. We're not going to, you know, we're not, we're, we want because we want this thing to work. Uh, and so they're working, they're, they're, um, they're working most closely now with Sanofi, GSK Sanofi, but they're also willing to give their adjuvants beyond that partnership, which is, which is, which is a remarkable kind of concession because those adjuvants are very valuable, take a long time to develop, are probably the secret sauce of the whole, of the, of, of the whole vaccine industry. So that, that was, you know, that, that was a very, very, uh, very, uh, you know, it was, was remarkable. Uh, the other, uh, remar- uh, the other thing was that Takeda, who also has a huge capability, uh, as the Japanese largest Japanese pharmaceutical in the company, Decided they were going to work instead on medicines instead of the vaccine, and they but they said they, they would provide capability, which means you know scale capability to Novavax. So when Novavax started, they were a pretty small company, hadn't really produced any vaccines, and now Takeda is partnering with them uh, in order to really get the vaccine out faster. And the Novavax vaccine is interesting because it has very high immunogenicity response, uh, and it's also uh, got a very uh, slightly better safety profile, at least in preclinical studies than some of the other drugs do, uh, some of the other vaccines. So you'll be able to see that possibly being used in, uh, you know, in you know, compromised patients and very specialized uh, patients as well as the general population. And that'll come out probably in about May, June time frame. It takes a bit longer for these viral particles to get going because they have to have many particles, uh, whereas Moderna and J&J uh, just had to have a single little piece of the uh, of the DNA that, that when you're talking about virus-like particles and, and subunit proteins, it's plural proteins. You've got to have a lot of different them. You've got to produce them in, in, in quantity. So it takes that, that, that the green technologies, that, 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 uh, that particle 
the, the viral particle uh, technology platforms that are a little bit slower um, than the vector and the uh, mRNA technologies. So huh, that's a little bit about manufacturability. Um, so the next big issue is actually, can we get this thing out? Uh, and I, it, what's interesting is I put together, uh, I'll show it to you at the end. Uh, we're going to have a bad winter. Now. Uh, uh, and, and so one of the things about the vaccine is you can't take your eye off the ball. And I, and I did two quick scenarios. One that said, suppose you're in a state uh, like Texas today. It said, you know, we'll, we'll make um, the wearing of, uh, of, of protective you know, of masks uh, and uh, hygiene and distancing volunteer. You know, so right now, Texas announced, the Governor Abbott announced, you know, 75% uh, of capacity in restaurants, 50% capacity in bars, uh, wear your mask if you like. Uh, and uh, we have actually experience with this because it turns out Kansas did this back in June. They, the Governor of Kansas got up and said, no, it's up to you guys. Uh, counties, you choose. You can, you can, there's, a, there's an optional mask mandate. You can opt into it and, and we'll help you enforce everyone wears a mask. And 30% of the counties in Kansas did this. And 70% of the counties in Kansas didn't do this. And what do you think happened? <laughs> Wasn't the good in the 70, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the counties with the mask mandates did better. I mean, this is not rocket science here. Come on. Yeah, it's not rocket science. And the risk is everyone's saying, oh, my goodness, we got a vaccine coming. We can let our guard down. No, it'll be fine. It, it wouldn't have to make it. Uh, uh, through that period. I think that's what Texas did, right? We'll be popular. We'll say you don't have to do this. Everything will be great. And, and the population is really happy about that. They say, hey, you know, everything's cool. I, I'll just go out without my mask and so on. Well, the difference in performance tends to be that if you wear a mask, if you start off at 100 and you put in a mask mandate, you drop to 75, you know, in terms of new cases. So suppose you started new cases every day, put in a mask mandate, Minus 75. If you don't put in a mandate, the mask mandate, that same population will grow to 150. Cases, hmm. Right. So you're talking about a hundred percent swing and in terms of 50% upwards or 50% downwards, we're wearing masks and not wearing it. And in Kansas, those states since June, we've gone through a lot, right? This is since June, who did put in the mask mandate, their, their number of new cases and associated deaths went down by 6%. But if you were in one of the 70%, you tripled. Hmm. That's how, how big this is. And so uh, in terms of the, the number of cases, the number of deaths, and that's, those are the same, <coughs> you know, there's the same health system. You're all, everyone's in Kansas. You know, it's the, you know you're, there, there's no really like, Oh, that, that I, I'm in a special County. You, you can't, you can't really claim that. So basically if you run all the numbers, what happens if you don't control as we would go, just like we saw before, we go up to, and we will probably still go up to about 3,000 deaths per day max. I think that'll be our, our high. We might, we might increase that slightly if we overwhelm the hospitals in, in a big metro area. Then we could go to, sadly, a two, three, five, two, we could go as high as 5,000 a day um, if we overwhelm the hospitals because that causes a double, a double the death rate. You know, I, I watched an interview with Dr. Fauci over the weekend, and he used the analogy the cavalry is coming, but just because they're coming doesn't mean you should stop fighting, right? You know, so. <laughs> that's right. And so here's here, you know, basically here's the model. What the model says, and this has you know been a pretty accurate model to date, 
basically, you know, if you don't do anything, you're, you're going to, you know, it'll be like before, you'll, you'll plateau and you'll come down a little bit and then you'll, you know, keep going up again and, ri- and run, run the risk of exponential growth. Um, and then, and so what happens is, and if you, if you do control, you know, you'll, you'll come up to a peak, but then you'll start going down, you'll keep going down, uh, quite a bit. Um, and you can see the difference is, is, is literally, you know, probably two or 3,000 people a day death rate by the time you get to next year. If you don't, if you don't have a vaccine, the great news is we have a vaccine or several vaccines now, but it really matters what starting point you are. Uh, if you're starting at 2,500 deaths a day, that's a big difference. And if you're starting from only 1,500 deaths a day, that's because you've got a pandemic going on and you've you got lots of people who, if they get together to get a vaccine and a shot, our chances are are going to get sick with, with the with what they're trying to get protected against. Um, so we, you know, it really makes a difference if we can put, you know, keep wearing the masks until we get to a point of herd immunity. And I think that time, you know, now that we've got this was done before uh, the 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 the, uh, the announcement from AstraZeneca, I think we could get there as early as middle of next year, where we can start to say, you know, we can stay, we can take the masks off, we can start to get our herd immunity in certain populations. Uh, where, we're, where we're monitoring that. So you may not be able to do it everywhere uh, because you'll still be a vector yourself. We're not sure about the duration. We're not sure about a, a number of things here. But generally, um, if, if, if those things all come to uh, fruition, uh, we could be you know, talking about a point of getting to herd immunity by, by the end of the summer of this, of, of this coming year. Which- okay, so, so to put it in terms of the uh, unofficial religion of this country, uh, by next fall, it may not be completely insane to play football. <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't think we'll be. I don't think you should be planning on, on practicing in June, July. Okay. Right. Uh, but you might be able to get ready for a late, uh, a late September, early October uh, opportunity. And and if you've got your vaccination cards, you can you you can probably start start. You can buy a ticket. ticket. Yes, right. Start thinking about buying a ticket. Yes, you actually go. <laughs> the other the other question that comes up, Fred, is in what order will people get vaccinated? And we discussed this before, and you were saying first responders and healthcare folks would be first. Yeah. Probably the nursing home people would be second, but then what? Yeah. So here's here's the distribution. Uh, this is this is from the National Academy of Medicine. I contributed a little bit to some of the some, some of the uh, algorithms here today. ACIP, which is the uh, which is a, which is the body that is actually going to make the CDC rule, um, or the, the CDC will follow, is meeting today, uh, and oh. they're trying to figure out which order, which sequence we should try to do at the national level. You know, uh, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go through a two-step process. We'll start, um, we'll start with each of the manufacturers saying, "Here's so much stuff I got." Uh, yeah, and the manufacturer in batches. So Pfizer will say, I've got 100,000 batches. And the CDC will then say, okay, California gets, gets 12,000 of those, of those batches. Uh, because we've looked at everyone's populations. We've looked at everybody's health status. We've looked at everybody's dem- demography. And we've decided that, you know, in order to be best for our, the health of the country, California, you get these. So then California, is what they call a jurisdiction. We've got 64 jurisdictions. Uh, we've got 50 states plus D.C. Uh, we've got eight territories. We've got um, six big cities. And we've got the tribal nations, the Native American nations. So uh, those are the jurisdictions. And, uh, and so in this case, each of those jurisdictions takes their 12,000 in the case of California. And they say, okay, Joe, in San Francisco, you get this one. 
And, uh, you know, Sam in San Diego, you're next on the list. And Sam says, I don't really want to. Okay. And you're up next, you know, and, and we'll, and, and, we'll, and we'll go through that. Uh, and, and this is the way the, at the U.S. level, we'll do this. Now, every state is different. I'm working with, you know, 17 states right now trying to figure out what the algorithm should look like. We've got a new system in place at the federal level called Tiberius, which is actually, uh, doing this automatically for the state because they want to. But a lot of states say, no, no, we want to do our own thing. Thank you very much. So, well, there are a number of, it's, it's, it's a little bit variable, especially at the state and jurisdictional level. But at the federal level, you can say with pretty good certainty that between, and this is going to accelerate now that we've got uh, Moderna and possibly AstraZeneca involved. Originally, with just Pfizer, we thought it would take us until the end of March to, to you know, possibly uh, inject 20 million people. Now that's going to probably be already uh, in, in by, by early February. Don't forget, these are you have to take the first vaccine and then you got to take the second vaccine. So even though people say, Oh, I got the vaccine, you still have to wait that 28. Uh, you, actually, it's about seven days after your second vaccination that you got are optimal for immunity levels. So, well, Mike, it looks like you and I are both in phase two. So, hooray. So, hey, hey, congratulations. So, phase one two. of the things of being old, you know, we get to go second. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Dave, Dave is going to have to wait till phase four, you know, just because uh, he's such I, a young whippersnapper. Most and he's so, and he's so healthy. Uh, for Dave. Yeah. But I think we're going to see that way that phase four be pushed up to August. So, we uh-huh. that because we've got that much more vaccine available. Isn't that shocking? So, yeah, so, so these groups you have in phase four there, the angry disbelievers and such, ah, if, if you exactly. add all those up, is that that looks like it's a significant chunk of the U.S. population, right? That's so. the big problem, right? Even if we can get this out, and, and trust me, it is hard to get this stuff out. Uh, now that we've got AstraZeneca involved with a huge capacity and we can, you know, we don't have to worry about minus 20, minus 70 degree cold chains. A lot of the material, a lot of the work I was doing. I'm making sure that we can get this stuff out with Operation Operation Warfare. It's gotten a lot easier, a lot orders of literally an order of magnitude easier. So uh, that which is great news. The problem is, I think we're going to get through the distribution calendars. One of the biggest issues is whether whether people will trust it. It's gone so fast because of this new technology. We have to kind of reorient our our thinking. And so uh, this is what it looks like. Uh, here's our our systems aren't very good, sadly. Here's what it's looking like. Right, the first generation vaccine. Is 90% effective. Let's say that's true. Uh, the population that's inoculated is likely to be about 50% uh, and uh, on round one. I think we can increase that a little bit. But unfortunately, if you multiply 90% times 50%, we only have about 45% control. And we need to get to about 85% control to really get herd immunity. Now, a number of us will be inf- have been infected. And so we'll have uh, antibodies. Let's say that's another 10%. They may be a little bit more It'll be a little bit less, but don't forget they have to be neutralizing antibodies. They have to be the right number of them. Uh, so it's not just, just getting, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, it may not be, in, just being infected may not be enough to protect you in many cases. That means we still have about a 30% gap, right? The 45% plus a 10% versus what we really want to get to is 85. Now you can argue about this. Some people say, well, suppose we get our neutralizing antibody numbers and the general population up to 20%. And suppose we heard of immunity, all we need to have is 75%. Then, but even if we do that, that's stretching it, and we're still we still have a 10% gap from herd immunity, and that makes a big difference. And so we have these groups: anti-vaxxers, the angriest believers, the cultural resistors, and the skeptical laggards. And let's talk about those groups. And you know they have questions about the way we've managed this for good reason. You know the the CDC, the FDA, the 
HHS have done have made some mistakes. It's gone so fast, we've made some mistakes, and there's you know, there's no getting around it, and so we've lost some credibility uh, here and there, and we have to rebuild it. So the question is, how do you go after it? And, I, and this is this is my thinking right now, um, having been in the segment for a while. I think they're going to be a group of people who say, gosh, this is a little, going a little bit too fast for me. I want to see what that what happens to that first group. Um, so they are what I call skeptical laggards. I, I, I believe, but I, let's, let's, let's see what happens to my Aunt Sue and, and a couple other people who I know, and I want to read some more results, and I, you know, I want to make sure I've got. Uh, but, but, uh, I think we can, uh, over the course of 2021, I think we can move that group from 20% of the population to about 3% of the population, um, which would be great. And we do that with education and overcoming fear and saying, look, what, you, what you're losing if you don't do that. And I think if you get good, good public service announcements, good healthcare professional support, family and friends through a number of different media channels, I think we can get there with that group. Cultural resistors, these are uh, you know, people of color, uh, ethnic groups who uh, uh, have looked at the past and said, wait a minute, you know, in the past, we've been the test dummies uh, and test, you know, the the, the, the guinea pigs uh, for uh, for these vaccines, and uh, then it turns out that they don't work well, uh, and we and our our groups get disproportionately uh, hurt by a failed vaccine, uh, and they there's you know historical precedent for the for this disbelief, and there we you know we've made some really you know mistakes in, uh, in, in the past, uh, and and some of them. Uh, you know that this will never live down. Um, uh, some of them were were were, were legitimate mistakes. Others of them were just were just being really stupid. Uh, but you know, I think we can convince uh, a number of of the people, uh, about half. I'm hoping about half that hey, we've made some mistakes in the past. We've got a new social contract here. This is a vaccine that's going out to everybody, and it really is for you, and it's easy to do. I think we you know again move through. Celebrity, spiritual leaders, people who, are, who that those communities trust, uh, with the right set of media, we can convince half. I think, sadly, you know, you mentioned the angry, angry disbelievers and the anti-vaxxers. I think the anti-vaxxers, you know, they, um, I've, I've spoken with them a number of times about all the work I do in vaccines, and they, you know, um, they have reasons uh, for um, their disbelief um, in, in vaccines generally. Um, uh, sometimes, entire, sometimes entire Western medicine entirely, <laughs> generally, uh, and I don't think we're going to be able to convince them. Uh, there, so we're going to we're going to be missing ten percent of the population no matter what we do. Um, and then there's the angry disbelievers. These are the people who are are basically upset about about they think it's a political hoax. They think this whole thing's been overblown. They're angry about it. And that's that's the craziest thing that I read in the past week of these people that are yelling at the healthcare staff in the ICU that. You know, until the moment they're intubated, they're still calling it a hoax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that sad story about that poor person who was intubated and thought he was absolutely convinced that, that COVID didn't exist and was sure it was lung cancer. And you know, sadly, that yeah. died. Yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think we're going to be able to convince more than more than seventy. In other words, what this shows, I don't think we're going to be able to convince more than seventy percent of people to take this. Well, the, the ones that aren't convinced will probably get COVID and they get the antibodies anyway, right? So uh, you know, there 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 is a relationship between people who don't wear masks, people who don't want to uh, wear, uh, don't don't take vaccines, uh, where they will, where they might may likely get uh, get the disease and, and have some uh, natural uh, immunity. You're right. So maybe there's a, so, but uh, when you get to seventy percent, times ninety percent, and you're talking ninety percent effective for vaccine, 
talking about 63%. Uh, and, and for herd immunity in this particular case, we need at least 75%. So We've we'll got have, about two minutes left, Fred. So I think mandates will continue to be required to achieve herd immunity. That means your employer might require you, your school might require you, and so on. So with that, why don't we... Uh, why don't we take a look at the roadmap? This is the roadmap I put together for the states. The first step is you reduce with MPI. Uh, so continue non-pharmaceutical intervention with masks. You prepare your vaccine infrastructure supply chain, and your goals are to get masks out to everybody who needs them and to partner, uh, create a partnership network to deploy the vaccine. Next step is to localize. So you want to create your testing network so you can test the vaccine once it gets out there for durability and test the level of antigen so you can localize those groups that are going that, that are that are at risk then you want to vaccinate i think that'll happen through, through june and then you want to start monitoring the durability the efficacy and the safety and you want to stratify pop by population uh, and, and geography and finally you want to you know create and build a, a permanent pandemic infrastructure uh, that allows you to fight the next pandemic as well as be ready for the booster campaign should, should we need it with COVID. and with that why don't we Call today and say we've conquered the place. I think that that will happen by the end of the next year. Well, we got one minute left. So talk about uh, Thanksgiving's on Thursday. I've already told my family I'm not coming to Grand Rapids because my sister's having 12 people over. I won't say her address or anything. So the authorities come and get her. Uh, but I mean, essentially, that's not a good idea to do that right now, right? No, I wouldn't recommend it. The, the travel is, is, is dangerous. And if, uh, unless the 12 people are all within your family right now and they're living with you for more than 14 days. No, my point. nephews are flying in from Minneapolis and other places. And, uh, you know, so. Yeah, no, not, not, not recommended. I mean, if you want to get ready for, for an event, you kind of have to wait. You have to kind of get ready for about 20 days in advance. What you do is you, is you take a test. You get a negative test result. You go into quarantine. You quarantine for 14 days. You get on your plane. Uh, you test when you land, and then you test four days afterwards. If you're free from, if you get all negative tests, then you can go to that. You can go to that event and feel comfortable. That's the way we create bubbles today uh, in, in in various countries, and that and that's what you have to do. All right, we're going to have to leave it at that. So oh, thanks very much, Fred. Always a pleasure. We'll get you back on the show next Monday. Hopefully, we'll have some new vaccines to talk. Oh about. my gosh, you guys are overwhelming me. I hope so. It's all good news, though. All good news, you guys. All right, take us out, Matt. All right. Well, we'll be back again uh, next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, with another edition of the M Squared TechCast, MITechnews.tv. Right now, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to M Squared TechCast, a live Internet radio show offering the latest 